I want to take a moment and uh, welcome everybody down there in Bell County, everybody in Williamsburg and Somerset. Uh, I don't know what y'all been doing this morning, but we've been having some church over here. Hey, can we put our hands together and welcome our other churches, other campuses? I don't know, we're glad to have them today. Uh, today, we're in part three of a series that we've been in uh, called Jesus for Grownups. And, and we're talking about Jesus in a way and telling stories uh, that uh, it just wasn't uh, appropriate uh, to talk about it back in childhood in Sunday school. Uh, so we're talking about Jesus uh, on a more adult level, and, and we're talking about things that are true about Jesus and true about life and true about you, and, and trying to dig into all of it and, and find out how do we follow Jesus uh, even better or even, you know, more closely as an adult because as we weigh into some of these themes, uh, hopefully it continues to grow our faith and it helps us see Jesus with a fresh new vision. Uh, it helps us to reconsider uh, some of our preconceptions about Jesus and some of our preconceptions about what it means to have faith and walk by faith and live uh, in this world. So uh, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am and I think it only gets better after this. Every single week, it's really important. Uh, it, it's stuff that we need to be talking about, and, and today uh, is no different. Uh, when Jesus showed up, uh, Jesus, he, he offered a gift to the world. Uh, and oftentimes in childhood, that's how Jesus was presented, that Jesus showed up with a gift, and, and he gave to us the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe on him, in him, should never die, should never perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus showed up and he offered this incredible gift called eternal life. But beyond that, uh, we've been talking about a little bit more tangible uh, part of what Jesus offered the world was abundant life. Jesus offered the gift of eternal life, but Jesus also offered the gift of eternal, of, or uh, abundant life rather. And we've talked about this quite a bit. Abundant life is a life so full uh, that it overflows into the lives of other people. It's a life that's so rich and satisfying that it can't be contained. Uh, that's the type of life that Jesus offered. It, it was a rich and satisfying life, a life that overflows into the lives of other people, a, a life that is greater than what we could have ever imagined living. Uh, it, it's a life that savors the moments and celebrates the good in life. Uh, that's what Jesus, I think, had in mind when he offered us this gift of abundant life. Uh, this abundant life, when you read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you pay attention, uh, especially to the red letter, uh, you find out that this abundant life, it's marked by other gifts, uh, the gifts of joy, uh, peace, uh, purpose, meaning, gratitude, hope, and, and the list could just keep on going. But Jesus, he, he puts all of these things at our disposal. He, he puts all of these things into our life. And, and when we embrace it, uh, when we embrace it to the point that we begin to live out those things, we begin to live out a life of joy, a life of peace, purpose, meaning, gratitude, hope, faith. All of a sudden, life does become more rich and satisfying. Life becomes so big, it becomes difficult to contain because within this abundant life, we're set free. There's a freedom that we find in Jesus, a freedom from tyranny, uh, the tyranny of circumstances, the tyranny uh, of our situations, the tyranny of our past, the tyranny of our present, the tyranny of toxic emotions. Jesus offers this gift of abundant life and he calls us to it. But as Jesus gives us this gift of abundant life, 
He does so without ever downplaying the inescapable, inevitable realities of your life and my life. Even when those realities are a bit harsh, and even when those realities are, let's just call them brutal. Jesus never downplays life. He never downplays the brutality of life. He never downplays, you know, the, the fact that life is painful or hard. He, he basically speaks of it as we would expect him to speak of it while telling the truth. It's, it's kind of the inescapable, inevitable realities of life. Jesus, and, and this is what I love about Jesus, and this is one of the things that I respect about Jesus. Jesus acknowledges all throughout the gospels how unpleasant, unfair and unpredictable and uncontrollable life can be. Now, we should all be concerned if we read through the Gospels and we found Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Rabbi, our teacher. We should be concerned if we find Jesus presenting us a vision of life or a version of life that our very experiences tell us that version doesn't exist. But we live our lives and then we look at the gospels and we hear what Jesus said and we listen to what Jesus taught and we realize that Jesus never backs down from what we've all experienced to be true about life. And here's the thing I love about Jesus even more than just the fact that he acknowledges it. He never offered himself. He never promised us an escape. He never offered himself as an insulation from life's woes or life's pain. He never offered himself as a hedge of protection. He never spoke of himself as that way. He never spoke of faith uh, that way. He never offered us a hedge of protection. Uh, he never offered himself as a strategy uh, to minimize our problems or pain. Uh, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not follow Jesus so you'll have less problems and less pain. The gospel isn't follow Jesus so that life will be less hard. Uh, it's not follow Jesus so that you can have a life that somehow is different than everybody else's because your life is free of the inevitable, inescapable, harsh, brutal realities that everybody else has to live under. That's not the gospel. We're invited to follow Jesus with this gift of eternal life and this gift of abundant life. And Jesus never backs down that even within this invitation to abundant life, there's gonna be difficulty and there's gonna be trouble and there's gonna be trial. Matter of fact, th this is a good way to think of it. Jesus offered a way to have a better life in the face of life. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about because think about this. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have trials. And, and I love the honesty of that. Because he could have said something, he could have tried to offer a false bill of goods. He could have said, if you'll follow me, you know, tribulations will flee. If you follow me and have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to trouble and trouble would flee. He could have said those things, but Jesus looked at his followers and he said, hey, in this life, count on it. You will have trouble. You may not want it. You may not deserve it. You may have not asked for it. But Jesus said, I want you to look at me and listen to me. You're gonna have it. But then, in the same breath, he says, even so. Even so, you're gonna have trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled. You don't have to let trouble trouble you. Jesus offers abundant life in the face of life. He offers a better life in the face of life. He says, you're gonna have trouble, but you don't have to let trouble trouble you. Jesus said, hey, there's gonna be grief and sadness in life. I promise you, you will grieve. I promise you, you will have sadness. It's gonna happen. 
But blessed are those of you, fortunate are those of you who mourn. So why would he say that? Because in the same breath, he said, because you will be comforted. Because mourning and sadness and grief, they may last for a moment, they may last for a season, they will last for the night. But sooner or later, joy will come in the morning. I'm offering you a better life in the face of life. Jesus said there's gonna be things in life to worry about. You already know this because you're worried about some things. Some of you are thinking about some things that you're worried about right now. Some of you weren't thinking about it until I just mentioned it. And now you're thinking about the things that you're worried about. Jesus said there's gonna be things in life to worry about. But regardless of the fact that there's gonna be things in life to worry about, Jesus said, don't worry. Because I'm offering you a better life in the face of life. Jesus said, don't worry, even though there's some things to worry about. There's always gonna be things to worry about, but Jesus says, don't worry, because God knows and God cares about your individual situation. And the only reason that you and I would ever worry is when we begin to question whether or not God knows and God cares about our individual situation. And Jesus said, I wanna tell you about God, your heavenly father. If he cares about the birds of the air and if he cares about the flowers of the field, rest assured, he cares about you because you are more important than the flowers of the field and you are more important than the birds of the air. So even though there's some things to worry about, don't worry. Jesus said, I'm offering you a better life right in the face of life itself. Jesus would tell his followers on another occasion, hey, in this life, you're gonna have opposers. You're gonna have naysayers. You're gonna have haters. You're gonna have enemies. But yet in the same breath, he would say, yet I want you to love, bless, and forgive those enemies. Because it's a better life in the face of life. I want you to refuse your instinct for revenge. I want you to let go of the grudge. Don't give other people power over you. Don't give people power over how you live and how you think and how you feel and how you respond. Let go of all of that because I'm calling you to a better life even in the face of life. No, it's not gonna keep people from hating you. If they hated me, Jesus said, they're surely, surely they're gonna hate some of you. Jesus acknowledged that sickness and death is unavoidable. I know you've heard this, but the latest statistics are in. 10 out of 10, they die. Amen. Sooner or later, sooner or later, you will get sick. I will get sick to the point that it will bring death. Now, I know you don't wanna think about that, you know, on a Sunday morning and it's springtime and it's a time to talk about life, but I, you know, don't forget about it because remember, staring death in the face is very clarifying for life. Jesus said, listen, you're gonna get sick and you're gonna die, but I am the resurrection and life and though a person like you will die, yet shall you live. So I'm offering you a better way to live your life, even in the face of death itself. I'm offering you a better life in the face of the darker side of life, the harder side of life. Uh, and these, these things are gonna be, you know, this, this better way of life, this, this abundant life, it's gonna be marked by these things. I mentioned some of them a moment ago, and you could probably, you know, add to this list, but faith, love, truth, grace, peace, joy, meaning, resilience, purpose, gratitude, that when you live with these things, embrace these things, you begin to experience this rich and satisfying, abundant life, which Jesus says, I'm gifting to you. It's these things right here that prevent you from becoming a casualty, prevents me from becoming a casualty to my circumstance, to uncertainty, to hardship, to trouble, to betrayal, to hatred, to rejection. 
And when you read through the gospels about what Jesus did and how Jesus lived and what Jesus taught, one of the things that I think is abundantly clear about Jesus is this, that Jesus seemed to view difficulty as an opportunity. Jesus seemed to view difficulty as an opportunity. He didn't see difficulty in your life or my life or in the life of the disciples or even in his own life as an enemy. He didn't see it as something to be sidestepped or ignored. He wasn't about pie in the sky pretending that these things didn't exist. But Jesus, Jesus, he looked at difficulty in this life and he saw it as an opportunity. And he saw it as an opportunity not to sidestep the difficulty, but to walk through the difficulty. He saw difficulty as an opportunity for you and for me to not escape it, not avoid it, not run away from it, but to actually face it head on and to walk into it and eventually walk through it because it was an opportunity. That adversity, your adversity, my adversity, trouble, pain, betrayal, rejection, all the parts of life that we don't enjoy, we don't want, we don't ask for. Jesus saw it as an opportunity to flex our faith. Jesus saw it as an opportunity to learn how to rise above our circumstances. He saw it as an opportunity to grow our faith, to strengthen our character. He saw it as an opportunity to broaden our perspective, the way that we see the world, the way that we see God, the way that we think about ourselves. He saw difficulty as an opportunity to deepen our gratitude, to fortify our hope, to learn how to be more determined and more resilient. And when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you pay attention to Jesus, I think that it becomes pretty evident that's how Jesus thought about difficulty. He saw it as an opportunity. And so when you read not only through the Gospels, but then you go ahead and move on into the rest of the New Testament, whether it be the letters of Paul or of Peter or John or any of the others, you begin to see that the New Testament also agrees with Jesus, that the New Testament echoes what Jesus believed about difficulty, that difficulty is an opportunity, that difficulty is an opportunity for a better, stronger, and deeper life. All of those things which make up the abundant life or a better life, that difficulty, difficulty is an opportunity to hone those things in. It's an opportunity to have a greater sense of meaning and purpose. It's an opportunity to have a deeper sense of gratitude. It's an opportunity to have a, a greater faith. It's, it's the opportunity to have a broader love. It's an opportunity to have joy and peace, even in difficult circumstances. And so the New Testament comes along and it echoes what Jesus said, that hey, your difficulty and my difficulty is an opportunity to be better, to be stronger, to grow deeper. Difficulty is an opportunity to more fully embrace what Jesus called the abundant life. An opportunity to find endurance and resilience. An opportunity to grow a more meaningful and authentic relationship with our heavenly Father. And so, whether it's Jesus or Paul or Peter or James, no matter who you're reading after in the New Testament, whenever they're speaking about difficulties or trials or troubles, they never encourage us to resist them. They, they never tell us to run away from them. They encourage us to embrace difficulty and to embrace difficulty and adversity in our lives, whether it's you specifically or me individually or whether it's something that we're all having to endure together corporately. That's what the New Testament and Jesus invites us to do, not to resist it, not to run away from it, 
but to embrace it, that we shouldn't try to avoid it because you can't. But here's the thing, and this is what I wanna talk about, and, and I think that this is, I think that this is so important. I think this is so important for me. I think this is so important for you. And I promise you that if it doesn't feel important because of your current circumstances, I promise you one day what we're talking about will feel very important. But here's what Jesus invites us to do. And this is what the New Testament invites us to do. That when it comes to difficulty, we should embrace it. We should receive it. And don't miss this. We should leverage it as a gift from God. Now, this is a paradigm change for many of us who grew up in the church and grew up around Christians, that we should think of trouble, that we should think of the difficulty, that we should think of adversity, that when we encounter those things, that we should embrace it, receive it, and leverage it as though it were a gift from God himself to us. Now, again, this is a different way of thinking about it than many of us than we've ever thought about in our entire life because a lot of times growing up, the Christians that I knew, anytime they were going through difficulty, anytime they were going through troubles or trials or tribulation, anytime they were experiencing adversity or difficulty, you know, Christians have got a habit of blaming the enemy for that. We'll just blame the devil for that. We'll, we'll blame Satan for that. If I'm going through a difficult time, we'll call it spiritual warfare. How are you doing, brother? Well, brother, I need you to pray for me. Well, tell me what's going on, brother. Well, brother, I'll tell you. All hell's broke loose. I'm in the middle of warfare. All hell has declared war against me. If it can go wrong, it has gone wrong. I am in warfare. And we speak as though the cosmic powers of darkness have conspired against us to bring difficulty our way. Now, I'm not disputing that that can't be true. Uh, that may be true, but it's probably not as true as we try to make it sound. Uh, probably the forces of darkness have not declared war against you or me. We're just living life because it rains on the just and the unjust. And it's whether or not you're a person of faith or not a person of faith, everybody at some point in time could feel like hell itself had waged a war against them. Uh, sometimes Christians talk about difficulty and adversity as though it's just some random thing. Well, that's just life and that's what happens. And it's almost like we speak of the difficulty or the trial as though it has no rhyme or reason. This could happen to anybody. A matter of fact, it happens to a little bit of everybody and it's almost like we downplay it. It's almost like we minimize the opportunity because it's like, okay, this is just random, it just happens. But I think what concerns me and what I don't wanna be guilty of and I don't want any of us to be guilty of, what I hear Christians say a lot, uh, what I hear Christians unintentionally say, I don't think that they've really thought about it, but oftentimes Christians are very tempted at minimal, very tempted to look at their suffering, to look at their difficulty, to look at their pain, to look at their adversity, to look at the dark season that they're in, the painful season that they're in, and they interpret it. They interpret it as God's absence. They, they interpret it as God's indifference, that God doesn't care about me. God doesn't know about my situation because how could God know about this and not care about this? And, and, and what kind of father would let a child you know, struggle or go through this? And, and so we're tempted to think that God has forsaken us, that God is absent or God is indifferent, or worse of all, I think this is what happens more than anything else, though we don't say it out loud. I'm afraid that a lot of Christians, maybe you, and I don't want you to do this, and I don't wanna do this, that in the midst of a difficult season, 
In the midst of a season of adversity, of pain, of turmoil, in the midst of that battle, that struggle, sometimes we're tempted to believe that this is God. This is God punishing me. This is God doling out judgment on me. This is God paying me back. This is God kind of taking me out to the woodshed. Uh, this, this is God, you know, kind of evening up the score. I've screwed up, I've done some things, and I guess this is just, this is God just kind of, you know, equalizing things, you know, I got out of balance, and now he's really putting it to me. But instead of that, instead of thinking in any of those terms, what if we flip the script? What if we flip the script? And what if we decided that we were not gonna resist the difficulty of whatever season that we're in, we're not gonna resist the trouble, we're not gonna resist the pain, we're not gonna re resist the adversity, but yet we are going to embrace it, we're gonna receive it, we're gonna leverage it as a gift from God. Not as a punishment, not as a payback, not as God's indifference or God's absence, not as just something random that has no rhyme or reason or no meaning to it, but what if we decided that in the pain of whatever thing that we're facing or dealing with, we were gonna embrace it, receive it, leverage it as a gift from God to the point that we could become grateful for it. That we could become grateful for it. We could become so embracing of the difficulty. We've received it to the point that we see it as God's gift and then we begin to be grateful for. Now, this is different. And it's a different way to approach life. It's a different way to think about the things that we don't want to experience. It's, it's a different way of experiencing the things that are inevitable and inescapable. And when it comes to what this looks like and when it comes to modeling this, I can think of, I can think of no one better. Jesus modeled this, but the apostle Paul also modeled this. Paul uh, knew the full spectrum of life. He knew both success and failure. You can learn from somebody like that. Now you can learn from somebody who's only been a failure and you can learn from somebody who's only been a success, but someone who has known both success and failure, you can learn a lot from that person. At times Paul was applauded, at times he was hated. He experienced good times, but he also had tough times. He had times of plenty and times of little. He, he knew joy, he knew sorrow, he had deep friendships, he had, he had very dangerous enemies, heartless enemies. He was a man that at times, it's like, Paul, you've got all the self-confidence in the world, but yet you read something else that he writes and it's like, you seem like you have a personal struggle that just tortures you, that, that makes you second guess yourself. He was a high achiever, but yet when you read some things that he wrote, it becomes obvious he had some significant personal deficits. Listen, don't ever read the New Testament and think Paul was perfect. Don't ever read the New Testament and think that someone like Paul is different than you. Paul was not some super class of Christian. He, he was not some subhuman that was a little bit more godly from birth than what your type of human can be. No, Paul is just like you, Paul's just like me. And he had personal deficits. He was top A, get it done. But there were some things in his life that he couldn't master. There were some things in his life that he couldn't seem to get a, a hold on. That, that he couldn't bring it in line with where he wanted. And so Paul, he's a guy that can help us hone our perspective when it comes to the darker, harder side of life. 
And he's a guy that can show us a new paradigm of how to embrace difficulty, receive it, and leverage it as a gift from God. Paul writes in one particular letter, he gives us a snapshot of some of his suffering. Some of you, you've heard this before, some of you maybe not, but Paul says, let me give you a little bit of my resume. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So Paul says five times I, I was flogged. I mean, to the point that what we know about Roman scourging and Roman flogging, that, that his back would have just been ripped open. I mean, it would, have been, it would have been something severely dangerous. It would have been life risking for Paul to go through this just one time, not to mention five times. And, and, and Paul moved on from this. Paul didn't quit after this. Paul didn't run away after this. Uh, Paul, he moved forward with the scars of that. And every time he put on his robe and every time he took off his robe and every time he looked into the reflection of himself, he could see those scars. And perhaps like some of us who carry scars from significant injuries, we look at that scar and it's like, oh, it's almost like we can feel it all over again. It's like we can experience it all over again. And it's hard for us to imagine how much pain is in this and how much suffering is in this. It's hard for us in our 21st century reading, but, but this was horrible. This was terrible. This, this is your worst day times 10. This is something that you just can't imagine how horrible it must have been. And Paul says, listen, uh, let me tell you more. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I watch you know, some social media sometimes and, and, and it seems like it's happening more and more and there's just so much going wrong. It seems like around us and our culture's off the rails and, and up is down and down is up and right is wrong and wrong is right. And, 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 and people, people are just so violent and people are, are just so hate-filled and, and sometimes you'll catch a video of you know, a mob just jumping on, a lot of times, a child at school, a, a teenager in middle school or high school and they get jumped in class and people are just, it's just horrible. And as a parent and really just as a human, I, I watch that and I get so angry. I get so angry that I, I just wish that God would put me in charge for a moment and give me the smoter. I would smote everybody in that video. I, I mean, I mean, it would be terrible. It'd be like the old Testament when God struck those people with hemorrhoids. It'd be far worse than that. <laughs> far worse than that. Some of y'all didn't even know that was in the Bible. It's why you should read it. It's entertaining, if nothing else. And so God's creative. He's like, what can I do to fix these people? I know. Bam. Some of y'all are not even old enough to know. But anyway, that's okay. Moving along. So, so this is Paul, and, and this is, he's mobbed. I mean, you can only imagine how traumatic that would be, you know, to be the object of such anger and hatred like he was. Uh, and how not only physically scarring it would be, but psychologically scarring as well. You don't get over that. You don't forget that. I mean, you talk about post-traumatic stress. I'm sure it went along with this. Once, one time Paul was left for dead. He says, I was once pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. To which I would say, listen, after one time, okay, I get it. Things happen. But if I ever saw Paul on a boat after the third time, I'm jumping off. <laughs> No way, no way. It's not gonna happen. He said, I spent a night and day in the open sea, I, I assume, you know, on, on one of the shipwrecks that he had. I mean, he's a survivor. I mean, he was out there and he, he, he was determined to live. He says, I've been in danger. He said, I've been in danger multiple times. Rivers, you know, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. I've been danger, in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, from false believers. Now, 
I don't know if you felt ever in your life like significantly in danger, but if you have, you know what that feels like. You feel the danger and, and that danger, I mean, it's, it's a pressure, it's a stress, it's a worry. And, and he says, I've been in danger in so many different places. I'm looking over my shoulder. I, I, I'm trying to be precautious. There's always an extra caution in my step because when you're in danger, you're a little bit more in tune to the surroundings. And, and that can be exhausting because you're, you're just over-processing everything and you're, you're exceptionally sensitive to everything going on around you. And Paul says, that's... It's how I've lived a lot of my life. I've labored, I've worked hard, I've toiled. I've not let any of this stuff stop me. I've not quit, I've not walked away, I've not taken my ball and I've not gone home. I've not done that. I've, I've often gone without sleep and there's nothing more depleting than being stressed out of your mind and not being able to find sleep during that season of your life. Whenever you're carrying it and you're thinking about it and it's weighing on you and it's that, that burden and it's that adversity and it's that difficulty and then you lose the ability to sleep, that wears on your emotions, that affects your ability to think clearly and to respond appropriately to people. I mean, you lose all perspective when you get in this situation, Paul says, I've been there. He says, I've known hunger, thirst, I, I, I've gone without food, I've been cold and naked, and I know it's hard for us to imagine this, not, not Paul being cold and naked, but, but being you know, hungry and thirsty, I, that some of us, we just, it's like, we've, we've never been there. And the uncertainty of our next meal or whether we're gonna have anything to drink and whether this is how we're gonna die, and I mean, we just can't even imagine that. And Paul says, okay, uh, that's kind of my story. Besides everything else, he said, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So if you're a leader, every leader, whether it's like a parental leader, a leader at the office, doesn't matter, every leader knows. With leading, there's just stress, there's pressure, there's weight. Uh, no leader wants to get up and fail that day. No leader wants to fail at all. And so there's this weight, this pressure, and, and what Paul had helped start, he, he wanted to, to make sure it went the distance. And so Paul, he was always thinking about it and he was carrying it. And, and so he's given us a window into his physical, emotional, psychological, relational, spiritual experiences that are so connected to difficulty and adversity. Just to let us know, hey, I know what I'm talking about. But as bad as all of this was, Paul had something else worse going on. He had something more going on. All the while through all of this, Paul had something going on in the background. All the while of all the things we just read, there was something else that he was carrying. There was something else that he was dealing with. There was something else that he couldn't get away from. There, there was something that he had to constantly deal with. In every situation, it, it, was, it was a relentless battle. It was something that tormented him. It, it was something that made him feel limited. It was something that made him feel inadequate. It was something that made him feel weak and defeated. And it's always there. It's always in the background. It's something that leaves him feeling helpless and powerless. Now, we don't always get that impression from Paul. We don't always get that insight of Paul. But he's about to tell us that's the way it is. And Paul refers to what was in the background. He referred to it as his thorn. He didn't ask for his thorn. 
It was something painful. It was something humiliating. It was something that was limiting and relentless. It followed him everywhere he went. When he was stoned, it was there. When he was shipwrecked, it was there. When he was flogged, it was there. When he was in danger, it was there. When he was hungry, when he was thirsty, it was there. It went everywhere he went. It was always beneath the surface. It was always haunting Paul. Every day, every place, in every season of his life during that time. And Paul says, I've got this thorn. And then he goes on and he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, how's that for honesty? I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about Paul's thorn. Some think it was a physical ailment, a degenerative eye disease or epilepsy or a speech impediment or even, you know, reoccurring malaria. There's all kinds of speculation about uh, what Paul's thorn must have been. It was a physical ailment of some kind. Other scholars have, have believed that it was a psychological condition, that Paul's thorn may have been deep depression. Uh, perhaps it was a problem with uncontrollable anxiety. Uh, and, and after seeing everything that he went through, you could understand why he might be depressed or anxious. Uh, some speculate that maybe he dealt with this overwhelming sense of insecurity that just got in the way all the time. It got in the way of deep relationships. It got in the way of leadership. It, it just got in the way, and he was always trying to overcome it. Some people say maybe it was guilt over his past. I mean, he had put Christians to death. He'd put Christians in prison before he himself became a Christian. And some people say, well, he just couldn't get past his past, that that was his thorn. Other people believe that Paul's thorn was a persistent temptation, a constant struggle with some particular sin or sins in his life. And this group of people, they appeal back to another letter that Paul wrote in Romans 7 when he said, you know what, I don't understand why I do what I do. You ever feel that way? So did Paul. I don't understand why I do what I do. Why did you do that? I, I don't know why I did that. Well, how do you not know how you did that? Well, Paul didn't know. And it's like, yeah, sometimes like, I don't know why I do what I do. The thing that I want to do, I do. But then he said, the thing that I hate, the thing that I hate, I do. Now, was the thing that he hated his thorn? Was the thing that he didn't want to do that he kept on doing, was that his thorn? Was that his struggle? Was that his battle? The fact is, we don't know what Paul's thorn was. And I'm really glad we don't. Because you know what? At any given time, your thorn, your thorn may be physical. Your thorn may be health-related. Your thorn may be psychologically related. Or your thorn may be a struggle in one or two or three particular areas of your life. And here's the thing. It doesn't change the point of which Paul is going to make in this passage. It doesn't matter what the thorn is. It has no bearing on the point of the passage. Whatever the thorn was, it was a splinter that was always in there. Paul said, I'm impelled by this. And it's tormenting me. It's constant pressure is what the word means. It's a crushing. It's like walls are closing in. I mean, this is such a, a rich Greek word. It, it can speak of someone who's just beating us up consistently. He said, I just feel beat up all the time. I feel defeated all the time. Now, whatever it is, it's no small thing. Whatever it is, 
It's not insignificant and it's not inconsequential. Now, something else I want to point out because this is important. He says, in order to, this is a purposeful clause. Paul believed that his thorn had a purpose. He didn't believe it was random. He didn't believe it was incidental. He didn't believe it was by chance. He believed that his thorn had a purpose and that the purpose of his thorn was to keep him from becoming conceited or arrogant, perhaps to keep him from becoming self-righteous, uh, that his thorn had a purpose of perhaps keeping him more dependent upon God. He says, so I, I was given, this, this is, there's a purpose to this. This is just not the cosmic thing. This is just not life happening. Now, something else beyond Paul recognizing that his thorn had a purpose. He says, in order to, that purpose, there was a purpose attached to it. I was given a thorn. Now, this phrase, I was given, it is an unexpressed subject. There's an unexpressed subject in Paul's thought. And what almost basically every Greek scholar that you could read after, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I can read after him as good as anybody. They understand that the subject is unexpressed because this is what is known as a divine passive. That God is the unidentified cause that's ultimately responsible for what Paul's talking about. And what Paul's talking about is his thorn. And the unidentified clause in this divine passive is God himself. And then beyond that, when he says, I was given, this word given is, is a word that people would have used for gift, a birthday gift, a Christmas gift, you know, whatever, whatever kind of gift you're giving. So Paul, he didn't see his thorn as punishment or as payback or as random or as something, you know, just life happening. He didn't even see it as something being broken in him or broken about him. He chose to see his thorn as a gift that had come from God, a gift that had a purpose. It was a burden, it was a burden, but it was a burden worth carrying. It was a battle to fight, but it was a battle worth fighting. It was a difficulty, but it had an opportunity attached to it. Paul chose to view his thorn as a gift with a purpose. And that perspective, that type of thinking, it's gonna make all the difference in the world when we encounter the darker side of life. How we see our thorn or thorns, that thing we struggle with, that thing we struggle against, that thing we can't escape, that thing that we wish wasn't there, that wasn't true of us or real of us, it's gonna change the way we think about it. It's gonna change the way that we feel about it. And that matters a great deal. And Paul saw it as a gift from God with a purpose attached to it. But he didn't always feel that way because Paul's human. Paul, I think, looks back and he thinks back to another season in his life and he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me. I mean, we wouldn't believe Paul if he didn't tell us this side of the story. This is, this is more than just like three individual prayers. This is like a perpetual prayer. This is like three long seasons of prayer when Paul begs God, begs God, begs God, take this, take it, pull this out. This is killing me. 
This is driving me to the point that I don't know if I can deal with it anymore. Maybe Paul would tell us that this was his greatest unanswered prayer. And Paul was a man of extraordinary faith and exceptional purpose. He was a man out there doing good. Yet God told Paul, no. We're invited to ask God, take it away. We're invited to ask God to do something about it, to change this, relieve this. But God reserves the right to say no. God said no, even though Paul was struggling, exhausted. He said no, even though Paul was out there doing a whole bunch of good. There was a lot of physical stuff going on, a lot of emotional stuff going on, a lot of spiritual stuff going on. And God said no. God said no. And you know what? God was gonna continue to love Paul even though he said no. He was gonna continue to use Paul even though he said no. And then, as he's begging God to take it away, he says, Jesus said to me, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what, talk to me? Weakness. Weakness. The answer is no, Paul, but I've called you to a better life in the face of life. The answer is no, I'm not gonna take that thorn because there's a purpose attached to it. And I know you don't understand it. And I know there's not gonna be an emotional resolve for you about it, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you the grace you need. I'm gonna give you the power that you need to continue to move forward and to move through it. Even though it may be difficult, excruciating, hard. It may be the hardest thing you've ever done, Paul, but I'm gonna give you all the grace and all the power that you need. I'm gonna overcompensate with my grace and my power in your life so that you can stay in this struggle, so that you can endure this battle, so that when you feel like you can't stand, Paul, you can fall into my grace. And when you fall into my grace, you're gonna discover that I'm able to sustain you. And when you got knocked down, it was me who picked you back up so that you didn't have to retreat and walk away and run away. You'll get knocked down, but my grace and my power is gonna make sure you don't stay down. I'm gonna help you hold on to hope. I'm gonna help you fight for your faith. I'm gonna give you, Paul, everything you need for the journey that I'm calling you to even with a thorn in your side. I'm gonna make sure, I'm gonna help you not to quit. I'm gonna help you to keep showing up day after day after day after day so that you can put one step in front of another step in front of another step in front of another step. It's gonna be my grace and my power that's gonna help you move forward. You're gonna keep moving forward and you're gonna realize that that power and grace, it's best realized, it's best experienced when you feel your weakest. At the point of your greatest struggle, Paul, at the point of your greatest sense of inadequacy and failure and insecurity and depression and physical limitation, at that point, in that moment, that's when my power and my grace will become most real to you. Hmm. That somehow your weakness, Paul, is gonna position you for my grace and my power 
like nothing else will. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that purposeful clause, Christ's power may rest upon me because this is an opportunity to experience God's grace and God's power in a way that I'll never experience as long as I think I'm strong. As long as I depend on me and lean on me and lean on my own understanding, as long as I'm doing it in the power of me, there's gonna be a portion of God's grace and God's power and God's presence that's just gonna be beyond my reach. But when I get to the place where I'm depleted, that I realize I can't, I probably never will. That's the moment that I experience God's grace and God's power and God's presence in a way that I'll never experience it in the way you'll never experience it when I feel strong, when I feel like I've got it together, when we're helpless and inadequate and we lean into our heavenly father, that's when he displays his power and grace in us. In other words, there is a glory in weakness. There is a glory in the struggle. There is a glory in the pressure, in the stress, in the burden, in the ailment. There is a glory in the inadequacy, in the humiliation. There is a glory in the weakness. Because in that moment, we remember all over again how much we need him, how much we depend on his grace and his power. We don't like weakness. I don't like it. I like the idea of being strong. I like the idea of always winning. I like the idea of always being on top, of having it together. I don't need you. I don't need you. I can do this. I can man up. I can carry it. I can battle. I can hold on. I can grow. I can do it all on my own. I love that idea just as much as anybody else. But Paul would say, there's something that happens when you realize that there is a glory in your weakness, in your struggle, in your dark place, because you'll never experience God when you feel strong, when you think you've got it together, the way that you will feel and experience him when you are weak. That is why Paul would say, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But let's all just say this part together. Let's go on three. One, two, three, four. When I am weak, then I'm strong. When I am weak, that's when I'm strong. At my weakest, I'm at my strongest, not because of me, but because of his sufficient grace and his power that is made perfect in my weakness. So, do you have a thorn? Something physical? Maybe terminal? Maybe, maybe not? Something just persistent and chronic? Do you have a thorn psychologically? Do you, do you struggle? keeping your thoughts in the light? Do you struggle with that deep place of 
depression and anxiety and worry, insecurity, inadequacy that you just, you just can't shake. And maybe for a little while, but it just, it just keeps on coming back. Are you struggling with, with a sin, with a, a temptation? Is there a battle that you just feel like you can never win, a darkness that you just feel stuck in? There is a glory in our weakness. There is a glory in our struggle, in our difficulty, because there is an opportunity to remember that our thorn is a gift with a purpose and a promise. We may not know the purpose, but the promise is my grace is sufficient. So receive it, embrace it, and receive that thorn as a gift because it will make you available like nothing else will for God to display his grace and power through you. And when we see that bad side of life, that dark side of life is a gift. It begins to change everything. The thorn, the thing that we would beg God to change and take away is his gift with a purpose and a promise. And if we can find a way to be grateful for it, that thorn, that struggle, that adversity, that difficulty, we can get through it. Because in the moment of our realization and our gratitude, we'll know that we have only one hope, but to throw ourselves upon the grace of God. And that's what I love about Paul, and it's what I love about Jesus, and what I love about the scriptures, because our heroes of faith, though we're not told in those words, the greatest heroes of faith, I believe, had their share of thorns. And at their weakest, they were at their strongest. Whether it was Jacob running away from a mess he created, or Moses from a crime he committed, or David, a giant that he was facing, they threw themselves upon the grace of God and said, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I'm not as strong as I like to look. I'm not as strong as I like to sound. So God, I throw myself upon your grace. It's sufficient. Your power is gonna be made perfect in my weakness. Heavenly Father, our heads are bowed, our, our eyes are closed. There's thorns in this room. There's, there's thorns the lives of people who are listening to this right now in Somerset and Williamsburg and Bell County. God, help us to embrace it, to receive it as a gift. A gift that has a purpose and a promise. A gift that we can be grateful for because when we are weak, we are strong. Help us not to be so proud or arrogant as not to say, God, I need you. Help me. And if you choose not to take it away, 
I'm gonna fall on the grace that helps me continue to move forward, even with a thorn in my side. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name.